Well, take your Bible. We're going to be in uh, four key scriptures this morning. The first will be Ephesians 5. We'll be there in just a minute together. Well, I want to pray for us. You can keep your eyes open if you're flipping to Ephesians 5. That's allowed. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence we've sensed already today. Lord, as we feast on your word today, I pray that we'll not just hear man's wisdom, but Lord, I pray that you would give us fresh manna that our souls can feed on. Thank you that you don't just give us information. You long for us to be transformed. So we say yes to you now. Before we even know what it is you want to highlight in our life, we say yes to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, in our final week this week in a series entitled Disciple, Dare to be a Disciple, to be a real follower of Jesus, I want us to to key in on this thought that disciples make disciples. And this is for for most of us here. Most people in this room are saying, I'm a Christ follower. Maybe not all, but most are saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Then we are called to be a disciple maker. I want to start by sharing with you a a fictional story that I think has a very powerful truth. Once upon a time, there was a fire in a small town. The fire brigade rushed to the scene, but the firemen were unable to get through the burning to the burning building. The problem was that the crowd of people who gathered there, they gathered not just to watch the fire, but they wanted to help put the fire out. They all knew the fire chief very well. Their children had climbed over his fire engines during excursions to the fire station. And the friendliness of the fire chief was legendary. So when a fire broke out, the people rushed to help their beloved fire chief. Unfortunately, the townsfolk were seeking to extinguish this raging inferno with squirt guns. They'd stand there and from time to time they would squirt their water pistol, squirt, squirt, and then they would talk amongst themselves in casual conversation. The fire chief couldn't contain himself. With a loving tone, he, he exclaimed to the townsfolk, What do you think you are doing? What on earth do you think you're going to achieve with these water pistols? There is buildings burning down. This is life and death. The people realized the urgency of the situation and how much they loved the fire chief. They wanted to help him, so they started to squirt more. Come on, they encouraged each other. We can do better. Squirt, squirt, squirt. They would squirt their water pistols at the fire. Exasperated, the fire chief, in a loving tone, exclaims again, Move out of the way! You're achieving nothing except hindering us from doing what needs to be done. We need firemen who are ready to give everything they've got to put this fire out. People, we need people who are willing to lay down their life. This is not a place for token contributions. As I read that story, it reminded me of of the call we find in Scripture to be a disciple and and how often we like to kind of just tinker around and toy with it and just kind of use our squirt guns to get in a very life and death situation. You know, it it reminds me of our generation, not like a certain age, like if you're young and a young generation. I mean, just everybody who's alive. So if you're in here and you're alive, I'm talking about us. Those of us who are alive today, we are a generation who is so easily bored. And worse than that, it's not just being a generation that's so easily bored. We're a generation that, that has become spectators, almost voyeurs, if you will. We get so used and accustomed to watching life happen and taking things in that way that if we really want to experience something heroic, 
If we really want to experience something romantic or something adventurous, then we just subscribe to Netflix or we just go to the theater and, and we watch the latest movie and we can experience and we can witness the greatest wars, the greatest love, the greatest adventure, and we never ever have to leave the couch. We never ever have to leave the seat in the theater. We just eat the popcorn. We just drink the Diet Coke and we safely from a distance squirt the water pistols and say, whew, what a fire that was. But yet, the problem is, it's worse than being bored. It's worse than just being token contributors. We are trapped in a delusion. We have become voyeurs. When we watch life happen around us, we conclude that we are actually living this life for God. Rather, we're just simply observing what a life for God could be like. It's this adventure that our soul craves for in the things of God, but yet we seek sometimes adventure without risk. We're able to experience these things from a distance, but we never get it in on what God has created for us. I love that God has created us in His image, and one of the things that I'm convinced, one of them that tells us we're created in His image, is the imagination He's given to us. I love our imagination. In our imagination, it's like we're limitless. There's no boundaries in our imagination. In my imagination, I can ride my bicycle like Lance Armstrong. I don't need extra drugs. I can just go fast all the way through. In my imagination, I can run as fast as Superman. In my imagination, I, I can jump as high as Michael Jordan. But God's Word tells us that the life that God has dreamed for us is so far bigger, so far grander than anything you and I could ever imagine ever dream of. I think there's some of us that when we talk about daring to be a disciple, to be a real follower of Jesus, we get scared. I need to tell you, you have reason to be scared, reason to be afraid, because God's dream for you is so far bigger than anything you can imagine. Now, you don't need to stay stuck in fear, but if you think it's something you can tackle on your own, oh, you're missing the whole thing. There's something amazing And for us to experience that, we have to leave the ranks of being voyeurs, leave the ranks of just being observers or spectators, and take a risk and step out and not just learn about what it means to be a disciple, but now is the time. I will be a disciple and a disciple maker. It reminds me of Paul's words that we're going to look at briefly here today when he talks about this challenge to be a disciple. Really, it's not just four scriptures. We're going to look at four scriptures this morning. But it's, it's really all of Paul's writings. And I contemplated, Heidi, this morning, just reading all of Paul's writings. But we'd be here a week. And I thought a few of you would object to that. So we're just going to look at four scriptures. It kind of summarizes so much of what Paul talks about to different camps of people. But it's the same message that oozes out of his heart. And the first part of his challenge to us is, is this. It's a challenge to live a radical life for God. Now get your Bible ready. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 in just a second. And as you're you're turning there, this call to live a radical life for God, I think we need to come back to this word radical. It's a word that's very misunderstood today. Today when we think of radical, we think of fanatical. We don't need more fanatics. But we need more people who are radical for God. Today when we think about radical, we think about being over the top, excessive, to the extreme, all the way to the edge politically, or all the way to the edge religiously. That's that fanatical person. That's not what the real meaning of radical is. Some of us think of an early 90s term that we think to be cool, of some kind of synonym to cool or awesome or radical. 
and say dude after it or something like that. I date myself of what we used to say. It's not some kind of term that used to be some old youth culture term. There is a very real definition that, that is, is at the heart of what Paul is trying to say. In my words, he's calling us to live a radical life for God. Radical means rooted. The word radical comes from the 14th century Latin word, which means from the roots, which in our language would say to us today, rooted in the original. Paul is calling to us to be disciples that are rooted in the original example of Christ. Where do you get that? Well, it's in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Let's look at it together. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's a, it's a common theme for Paul. It's a challenge from Paul. He talks about this often. Let's take it apart here together. He says, be an imitator of God. To be a radical Christian, uh, living a radical life for God, is, is, is not to be a fanatic, not to be weird, not to be over the top, but to be rooted in the original. How? Imitate God. Imitate God. How do you imitate God? To love like Jesus loved. That's what he says there in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. To, to be a radical Christian is, is I'm going to go back to the, the root, the original example in Jesus, and I'm going to love even giving up my life to love the way Jesus loves. That's what he calls. That's what he challenges us to. Paul then, in his writings, will talk about the how question. Take your Bible and turn to the right in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. As you're turning there, Paul looks at this how question, and I I think it's so interesting how Paul dealt with the how question different than how we like to deal with the how question. When someone asks the how question today, we want to give them 497 steps to take care of it. Here, buy my new book that I just published, and it'll tell you everything you need to know how to do it. Or why don't you get on YouTube and just download this YouTube channel, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and you can just see all these ways of how to do it. And those aren't bad, but that's not what Paul says. Paul gives us something very different. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. it's very simple. He says, follow my example. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How? He says, follow me. The, the great challenge to be this disciple is to have a radical life for God, rooted in the original example in Jesus. How? Follow him. Follow him as he follows Christ. Theologian Karl Barth is credited with these words. The Word became flesh, and then through theologians, it became words again. Far too often, we've exchanged our calling to be discipled and to be disciple makers and and to do the mission that God has called us to just so we can talk about Jesus and talk about being a disciple. We have taken the word that has become flesh, Jesus, and then we have made Jesus' words again. In other words, we just talk about Jesus, we just say prayers about Jesus, but do we ever allow the very living word of God, Jesus, in us to speak to us and to be an example to anybody else? Have we exchanged this incarnate Christ, this living word in Jesus, for just our own thoughts and words about him? Friends, Paul is living out this incarnational life before the people, calling them to see Jesus in his life. And that's what he says. This is how you be a disciple. This is how you disciple. Follow me as I am following Christ. Far too often we just look for the next book that gives us all the tools because this is very costly. Paul doesn't say follow me because I'm so great. No. He says 
follow me as I follow Christ. It's learning by example. I don't know if you like to learn by example. I would much rather learn by example than happen to read it somewhere. Now, some of you are gifted with reading, and you're a scholar like Pastor Ryan, and you can just read it in the books, okay? i got to have the example. Now, Pastor Ryan can probably do both, but, but i got to have the example. And, and I love learning that way. So, for example... Uh, when I get my bicycle worked on, I've stopped taking my bicycle to the, to the mechanic shop and just paying them to fix it. I offer to pay them more so I can watch them fix it. Now, I thought this may not go over very well with Terry at Human Motor Works, so I said, hey, listen, I don't want you know, to threaten your job security. Is this okay? Can, would you let me back to the mechanic area and you teach me how to do this? And he said, oh, Brady, I have so much confidence that you're going to mess this up. It's going to be great job security for me. I'd be happy to teach you anything you want to know. And so I would go back there and I was having trouble with my brakes and he would show me the problem with the brakes and, and I got really good at diagnosing the problem with the brakes and I didn't really pay attention too much on how to fix it, but I can tell you when there's a problem with the brakes and, and I love learning by example. And it's even fun not just to learn, but it's fun to, to show somebody else by example. Yesterday, uh, I, I had the, my neighbors, the Lehmans, their boys were riding around and one of them got a new bike and they came over to my house and they wanted to show me their bike and, and another one of the boys said, there's something wrong with my brakes. <laughs> I know how to diagnose a brake problem. I said, let's look at it. I said, yep, right there, that's the problem. But I forgot the lesson that Terry at Human Motor Works told me, so I couldn't fix it. But I can tell you, that's the problem right there. And when we learn by example and teach by example, it's fun, it's natural. You don't have to sweat to do it, it just oozes out. You have all kinds of examples like this. I think of the, 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 a couple of years ago when Pastor Edgar discovered that I had not ever learned to f- shoot a firearm. And he says, hey, come with me to the, the firing range and, and I'll teach you. And, and he said, I'll, I'll pay your way to the firing range the first time. I said, you don't have to do that. He said, no, 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 no. He said, someone paid my way the first time I went. And so here's what we do in this brotherhood. I didn't know I was joining a brotherhood. He said, you just pay the next person who you're going to go teach. And now I was scared enough to learn how to shoot a firearm. Now he's telling me I'm going to teach someone else to shoot a firearm. I thought, he better wait to see how well I do before he wants to commission me to go teach someone else. But it's that, that by example. Now there's others of us, there's people you're around. They just ooze teaching by example. It just comes out of them everywhere. Dave, Dave you're a guy like that in, in my life. I was over at your house a, a while back, and we were out at your outbuilding, and somehow the discussion came up about shooting a compound bow, and it became evident to everybody around, I had no idea what I'm doing. And so you take the opportunity to say, hey, I'll teach you how to shoot a bow right now. I was not real excited because everybody's going to see the failure, but he, he would show me how to do it. Now, granted, I gave up on the lessons. I didn't follow up, but there was a teaching by example, and he said, hey, you know what? I I've done it this way and you don't want to do this because that hurts when you hit the arm here and then, yeah, you're pretty weak. We can see that. So let me change the bow and we'll, we'll, we'll get you an easier one. And he's teaching by example and it oozes out of Dave. I can't have a, a lunch with Dave without him, you know, talking to me about how he's learned how to run and, and if he would help himself run faster by changing the music that he plays. And so he plays with the higher beat content of the music to make him run faster. And I thought, well, maybe I'll lower the beat content so I could run slower. I don't, but it just oozes out of him. You have somebody like that in your life. The teachers in school that you learn from the most probably are the ones who taught by example. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, this discipleship thing, it's not about your catechism that you've memorized. It's not about did you get everything right. It's, hey, hey, the example is God. To be radical Christians is to be rooted in the original in Christ. That's it. My pattern is Jesus. Follow me. Do I get it wrong? Yep. And we're all going to see it and we're going to go, nobody do what I just did. That wasn't, didn't work. Let's, let's, let's follow Jesus. Now, the third thing that Paul tells us, well, before I get there, basically, this follow me as I follow Christ is what every disciple says, not just some disciples. If you're a disciple, you are to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'll tell you how we get that in a minute, but that's a fact. The third one is this. Paul and his 
challenge to us. It says, join the team of Christ followers. Just listen if you can't turn there fast enough. If you can, I'm in Philippians 3.17. But listen or turn as he tells us to join the team of Christ followers. Philippians 3.17. Join with others. In other words, Paul didn't just disciple one. There had to be more than one to be others. I'm not that smart of a guy, but others means, you know, just more than just you. Join with others and following my example, brothers, and take note those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So in essence, he's saying, it's not even all about me. As others are following the example of Christ in me, when you see Jesus in them, take note of that and do that. And so a disciple is always saying, hey, Jesus is the focus. Follow me as I'm following Jesus. But there's others around. I'm not just discipling my best friend. I'm not just discipling the only person who agrees with me. Anybody who will listen, Paul's discipling. And then we see in this context, it's not a solo sport. It's not just trying to be isolated. He's saying, join the family. I'll talk more on that another time. Let's go to the fourth one here. Letter D. Paul's telling us that you and I need to be an example to others. This scripture many of us have memorized if you don't, let me read it for you. It's one that's very, very common to us. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, and life, and love, and faith, and purity. In essence, he's saying, don't wait. You're never too young spiritually. You're never too young chronologically. You're never too inexperienced. Disciple somebody right now. How? Set an example. How? Follow Jesus and set the example. That's his challenge. It doesn't have to be complicated. Well, well, where does this square with our life? What is the application for us today? We've been in this the last four or five weeks. How, how does this manifest itself? Well, I think there's a question that really, really helps us. A uh, most helpful question is one that our tribe, our camp, is very familiar with. It's not new to you. It's this question up here on the screen. Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? This isn't just some theme from some gathering somewhere. It's a very helpful question. But before it can become helpful, we've got to get honest. This question, if you take it serious, can be very irritating. Why can this question be irritating? This question can be irritating. Write that in letter A. Why this question can be irritating is this. Because it's hard to hide with this question. If you would ask the question, how much of the Bible do you know, you could rattle off some things and stay at a distance and not really have to be engaged. If you would ask the question, what have you done for God, you could list all your attendance of things and all of your tasks that you've done, you could stay at a distance. But this question not only smacks of commitment, it smacks of relationship. When you ask the question, who are you discipling and who's discipling you, there's a commitment to Christ, but it's also a commitment to somebody else. And we need to move past the irritant and say, okay, maybe this isn't just about being comfortable or safe. Maybe this is this dream that God has that's bigger than what I could imagine. And we can begin to see why this question can be so fulfilling. This question is fulfilling because it is the very purpose of our life to make disciples. And it's fulfilling when we understand that when I say, follow me as I follow Christ, it's not about me. And so when I have a failure and I miss it, I can go back and say, I just asked God to forgive me. I want to ask you to forgive me. It's fulfilling to understand that this is not some condescending thing where I go, ha ha, thou needs to followeth me as I disciple-eth you with. That's not what it is. I'm following Jesus. Come follow him with me. 
It's so fulfilling when I live my life that way. And then we can see why this question is so powerful because the power of multiplication begins to come into play with this. And we begin to see that every decision I make not only affects me, it affects everybody else around me. You want to be more obedient? Start discipling somebody. You'll feel the weight, a good weight. Everything you do and don't do, it not only affects you, it affects everybody else. Let me tell you a secret. Whether you intentionally disciple someone or not, that's going to happen. Your obedience or lack thereof is going to impact someone else. And so we might as well say, Jesus, would you help me follow you? I want to help someone else follow you as well. Finally, if you come to the place where you say, okay, I've talked about obedience. We've talked about Jesus making us into something that we're, we're not. He's going to make us into a fisher of men. He's going to make us into disciple makers when I'm at that place. Okay, but where do I start? Not everybody in this room, but I think there's a lot of people in this room who are ready to start. Now, I want everybody to. If you all would, I'd say, hallelujah. But the law of averages tell me that someone in here is going to go, nope, not going to do it. I'm just going to love you. That's okay. But those who say, I'm ready, where do we go? We start here. This is not too simplistic. It is absolutely necessity. Start with earnest and fervent prayer. Now, I'm afraid that we have forgotten what these words mean, so I want to remind us of what these words mean. Earnest, sincere, intense conviction. If I'm praying, asking God with sincere, intense conviction and fervent, passionate intensity, well, when I have sincere conviction and passionate intensity, it's kind of like Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He's telling us this isn't complicated. You don't have to earn your way up the ladder. You don't have to find some secret code to punch. You don't have to join some some tribe to get this. You don't have to make through all the studies. Pray and ask Jesus, help me to follow you. Help me disciple someone else. It starts with earnest and fervent prayer. And then, letter B, this is like rocket science, I know. Don't wait, just start living intentionally, radically obedient. Now, I've got to confess, I have no idea if that's allowed to put those words together like that in English. I didn't run that by my wife, and so if that's not allowed, then tough. It's a mouthful, okay? But here, here's what I'm trying to say. Start living intentionally, on purpose, radically. Not a fanatic, remember we talked about that. On purpose, being rooted in the original example of Christ and being obedient to God. So it's not me working harder, gritting my teeth. No, no, on purpose, what... What did Jesus do to be obedient to God? That's what I want to do. I'm going to start with my commitment. that I'm going to look for the example of what Jesus did, and I'm going to do that. This takes away the gray area. This takes away the compromise. If you're still flirting with compromise, you're still flirting with how to try to get a little bit of God and keep this thing here and this here, it's going to work. It's not going to work. But if you dare to be a disciple, a real follower of Jesus, you start with this earnest and fervent prayer. You move into intentionally, radically obeying God. And it leads to this third one. You, you stop looking for, excuse me, stop the excuses by starting the accountability. See, a lot of us at this point, we begin to say, I can't do this. If I'm really going to disciple someone else, we have all these reasons. Some of you are plagued with reasons right now. If he means that I'm going to disciple someone else, I haven't been a Christian that long. Really? Stop the excuses. Look for accountability. Well, I, I just don't have that temperament. Well, I don't care what temperament you have. Disciple with the temperament you have. Guess what? There's another disciple who's going to have your same temperament. You'll be a great match. That's wonderful. See, don't look for the excuse. Start looking for accountability. When you begin to, if you want to grow spiritually, you say, I'm hungry, Brady. I want to grow. 
If that's true, that's a true statement, start discipling somebody. Don't wait till you've grown to disciple. No, here's why. Because as you're discipling them, you're held accountable by what you're sharing with them, and they're holding you accountable, and you grow in that. Finally, stop looking for the perfect person and start looking at every person. By that I mean sometimes we get so tripped up by, well, who is it that really could disciple me because they're younger than me or they're too old or I don't like the way they dress or I'm not so sure that we come from the same school of thought. Don't look for the right person. Look at every person. And what do you look for? They living for Jesus? Are they following? Are they a radical Christian? Are they rooted in the original example of Christ? You could disciple me. Well, you may not be as successful in business as I am. Is this about you mentoring me as a businessman or are you helping me be a disciple of Jesus? I want to read to you. It's a fictitious letter, but I think it helps us get at some good thoughts. It's a business letter. It says this. To Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafter, carpenter shop, Nazareth. From Jordan Management Consultant, Jerusalem. Letter starts. Dear Sir, Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for your management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultants. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background education, vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to inform you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James and Thaddeus definitely have these fanatical leadings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of these candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability, resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend at once Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely yours, Jordan Management Consultants. Friend, as, as you are looking for someone to disciple you and you are looking to disciple someone else, the world is going to get this wrong. There's going to be so many people who get this all wrong. Hey, don't look for the perfect person. Look at every person. I don't mean just let anybody be an influence in your life. I mean, look, hey, hey, hey are, are you living for Jesus? Maybe you could disciple me. Maybe, maybe I could have two people discipling me. And so I leave you with this question. We don't need another series about how to do this. It's simple. Follow Jesus. We talked about obeying. And say, follow my example. That's how you disciple somebody. Well, what material do we go through? The manual, the Bible. His his book he's given to us. Well, but what do we do when life comes up? Live life together. Well, it happens when I mess up. Make it right. Obey and learn together what that means. Well, how do I find that perfect person to disciple me? That's Jesus. Look for anybody who's going to do that for you. So as we close this morning, I want you to think, as I'm going to pray in just a minute, can you answer that question? 
Who's discipling me? Who am I following that's following Christ? Now, if you just say everybody, no, wrong. You need somebody. Somebody with skin on. Somebody that you can say, hey, I don't want to just pay you to fix the bike. Can, can I pay you a little bit more and you, you help me fix the bike? The personality that says, hey, I just heard you talk about you don't know how to shoot a compound bow. Right now, let's do it. I'll teach you how. Oh, I'm scared. All right, let's just do it right now. There's somebody who wants to do that. So who's discipling you? But even a greater challenging question is this. Who are you discipling? Not who are you lording over. (laughs) Well, I've been so wanting to tell you, Robbie, what I've learned this week. Because I can bless your socks off. No. It's not about me. It's about Christ that I'm following. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends who've listened so well to your word today. Lord, I pray that you will reward their attentiveness to your, your scriptures with allowing this to take root deep in their life. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage us today. That You're not asking us, Paul's not asking us to turn over a new leaf, to, to grin and bear it, to grit our teeth and work harder and just squirt, 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 the squirt gun more. No. Father, you're calling us to, to not just a token of con- contribution, but to to get into the life and death game, putting our life on the line and following you. Lord, I pray that you would remind a brother and sister today that you want to put your arm around them as the great fire chief and say, stand next to me. I'm going to show you how to put this fire out. Your key is to stay close to me. Don't stay at a distance. Don't get an idle conversation. Put your little water pistol down. You're going to need the fire hose of my Holy Spirit flowing through you. It's time for you to live out the dream that I've given you. You've read about so many dreams. You've written checks for so many people who are living a dream. It's time for you to live out the dream that's bigger than what you can imagine. It may seem scary. And without me, it definitely would be. But Father, would you tell them? Would you tell them today? That you are so faithful to those who with reckless abandon follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our midst. Amen and amen. As you stand with me, church, I want to leave you with this. I want to talk to the men for a second. Ladies, I'm not trying to leave you out. I'm going to come back to you at another time. But but men, if you're here today... And if you're honestly looking at the question, who is discipling me, and you've got nothing, and you'd like to be discipled, I want you to come if you want to be discipled. Now, I should have told you this earlier. You can't disciple someone who doesn't want to be discipled. I can fish for you. I can't disciple you. But if you want to be discipled, you want to follow Christ with reckless abandon, you want to be radical, rooted in the original example of Jesus, you want that. You don't have anybody you say, this is who it is. I can't put my finger on it. Not all the podcasts you listen to, but who's the person that's pointing to your life? If you'd like to be discipled, men, in a minute, I want you to come and you just write your name on this card and how you'd like to be contacted. I want to personally be engaged with you. And I'm going to call you to that. We're going to do some things together. And ladies, I'm not leaving you out. And so, ladies, here's what I want you to do. If you're feeling aggravated about this, no, you're not left out. You just pray for the nearest man around you. Okay? This is not who's most important. It's just that God made me a man. And I'm going to start with a man discipling men. We're going to have women discipling women. That's going to happen. It's going to take place. I'm not leaving you out. But I need you to pray for it. Historically, ladies have led the way. I'm just going to be real honest. Men, the problem in the church is not the women. By and large, now you may be able to find one or something, whatever. By and large, it's us. We've, like, got complacent. And so, 
Now, not everybody will do this. And if you don't do this, I have great respect for you. Great. I do not think less of you at all. I want you to. I'm concerned for you. I w- but if you say, I want to be discipled, I, I, I really want somebody who's going to pour into me, and I want to learn how to pour into someone else. If that's you and your response today, 